Hey, I want to welcome you to Mount Olive Church. So glad you're here uh, today. And uh, we've been in a series, uh, if you're brand new with us, entitled Surround Sound, Hearing God. This is a kind of uh, look at the different ways, and we're not talking at every way that God will ever speak to us, because um, God speaks in many different ways, but some of uh, the very main ways, the very consistent ways that God speaks to us as believers as we walk with Him. And this is important, obviously, as Paul said, as those who follow Jesus, we are those who live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And God, as we know, is not a God who's far off and distant. He is near and he has made himself known and he continues to speak to us in many, many different ways. Surround sound coming at us in many different ways because we uh, uh, don't have any excuses for not have heard or been able to hear his voice. So to do a little recap before we dive into uh, the message for today. Uh, The first week we looked at the idea that God speaks to us by his spirit. And uh, God is spirit. And so when he speaks, he speaks by his spirit. Uh, We often want to hear an audible voice. God, would you speak to me like that voice from heaven and say, you know, what you want me to do or what I should, uh, how I should proceed in this situation. And so often God speaks to us by his spirit to our spirit which is not often an audible voice we heard with our ears. It's a whisper. It's a still small voice. It's a conviction in our hearts. It's a nudging. And God speaks to us that way as we stay in silence and we uh, know that God is who he is to be or who he claimed to be. So God speaks by his spirit. But that can also be dangerous because how do we know God spoke and it wasn't just, you know, my own heart or my own desire. And so last week we saw that God has also spoken to us and he speaks to us by his word. The word being the scripture that we have, uh, our Bibles, and God speaks to us. And so there's this call for us if we want to hear God's voice and we're saying, God, would you just speak to me? And God often looks at us, I think, and says, I already did. You should spend time in what I have already spoken to you through my, my word given to you. And so it would be important for us to invest in. You can go back and listen to that at mountainallvfc.com or our podcast if you missed either of those messages. But as we continue today, we're going to look at a third way that God also speaks to us, coming at many different directions, coming to us to speak to us. And that is that God speaks to us through people. And this is dangerous because people are fallible. Yet God seems throughout history and uh, especially in scripture, he speaks to people, through people, and you can hear the word of God through an audible voice of another human being. And I said this is dangerous. It's really dangerous. In fact, if there's one thing that gets my blood boiling and gets my fire raging and gets my skepticism to like a level 11, it's when someone comes to me or I hear someone say, God told me. And then they proceed with this long list of things that God told them to do. And whenever someone starts a sentence with, God told me, somehow my skepticism just rises and there's just things in me that say, ah, are you sure? Because so often when people say that, what they proceed to tell me, I think, I don't know if God would have told you that. I'm just not convinced. There was a a movie a number of years ago that came out on the Crusades. And uh, in Bible college, I I wrote a paper, a history paper on the Crusades. It's it's interesting to me. I love history. I'm kind of a nerd that way. And so uh, when the movie came out, I was interested to see this movie on the Crusades. But what was interesting in in the movie was time and time and time and time again, 
um, characters in the movie, especially spiritual leaders, and at this time the church and, and, and uh, state were kind of one, and so they would speak for each other. And, but these leaders would constantly say, God wills it. We're going to go take Jerusalem because God wills it. And then all these atrocities along the way because God wills it. And it just kind of gets you thinking, okay, if Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, which Scripture tells us he is, I don't think the pillaging and the rape and the abuse and the killing is what God would have willed. And yet, so often God speaks through people. That God speaks through people is a power that can be easily, easily abused. And when someone says, well, God told me, it's almost like this trump card. It's like, well, now I can't say anything to say that what you heard from God is not true because you're saying God told you. It's like this trump card I can just use. And we can so easily abuse that. And I've heard, and you've probably heard people say that. I've heard people say things like, God told me to divorce my husband, or God told me to divorce my wife. And I don't have really a good reason. Now, some people have good reason, but I've been told, God, and you, what's the reason? I don't really have a good, other than God told me. I'm like, I don't know if God would have told you that without good reason. And God told me to buy a lottery ticket. And God told me to go into massive debt on a get-rich-quick scheme. And God told me and then there's, you know, those spiritual leaders that say, God told me to tell you, you should give a lot of money to me and sell all your possessions and give the money to me. But guess, there's always a catch, right? But don't worry. If you give all your money to me, God will make you rich, <laughs> right? It's like, did God really say that? And so there's this, this abuse that happens with this idea that God speaks through people, because people are fallible. We humans are not perfect. But here's the tension, I think, as it relates to God speaking through people. Though at times abused, that God speaks through people is still true. And it's something we have to live in tension with. Though at times abused, and sometimes we just want to throw it out and say, ah, God does not speak through people. This is a tension we must, I think, carry, that God still speaks through people. We see this throughout history in the days of scripture, that when David sinned with Bathsheba, God sent the prophet Nathan, and he spoke on behalf of God, giving him the word of the Lord to convict David of his sin. We know that the prophets Ezekiel and Isaiah and Micah spoke on behalf of the Lord. So God speaks through people. And sometimes this idea, you know, God could speak through me, could make us feel kind of prideful and high on our horse, but let me just, don't get high on your horse. If God ever speaks through you and you, someone says, hey, I think God used you and spoke to me through you, don't get high on your horse. Here's why. Because God in Acts chapter five spoke through an unbelieving Pharisee. He can do that. In the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 22, God spoke through a wicked prophet named Balaam. And on top of that, God also spoke to Balaam through his donkey. So don't get too high on your horse if God ever speaks through you. He can speak through anyone. Some of you, the light's going on, right? You're like, oh, this is like almost every week at Mount Olive, God speaks through a donkey. Finally, <laughs> this is making so much sense, right? You're welcome. You're welcome. 
Though at times abused, that God speaks through people appears to be true. And God does. And, uh, but there's some, some guidelines, some ways to discern. How do we know? So we don't just fall for the next person who says, God told me. How do we live in this tension? The Apostle Paul dealt with this in a letter he wrote to the Christians in Corinth. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And let me just set up the context of this because we're kind of, there's this long discussion that's happening with the church in Corinth. And then he gets to chapter 14, but it's built on this context, okay? So to give you some context, Paul writes this. This is a few chapters earlier. If you want to turn there, if you're kind of quick in your Bible, you can do this. Uh, In chapter 12, starting in verse 7, we kind of get the context of where he's going to go in chapter 14. Paul writes this. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, the embodiment of the Spirit. Okay? Now to each one, he's writing the church, men, women, probably some children, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, capital S Spirit, God's Spirit, is given for the common good. Now I want you all to remember two words, common good. In fact, say it out loud right now, common good. Don't forget that we're going to come back to that. So to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's writing to the church, for the good of us, the church. And then he lists some of the manifestations of the Spirit. Some of the ways the Spirit shows up and embodies the people. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. These are gifts. Manifestation of the Spirit is just a fancy way to say the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, a message of wisdom is given to one. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that same Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. He just lists a whole bunch of spiritual gifts and it's not all the gifts. He just lists some of the gifts. But here's some of what happens. And then he goes on and says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. You kind of noticed that, right? Because he kept saying, of that spirit, of the same spirit, of the same spirit. All these are given for the one and the same, uh, are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So here's the context. Paul is saying that God has gifted the church people with a whole bunch of different gifts. And guess what people do with gifts? They just start fighting over them. And there's all kinds of disunity over the different gifts. And I want that gift and I think that gift and and I don't know if I like this gift and this gift's more important than that gift. And there's just all kinds of disunity. So here's the context. So Paul continues and says, oh, by the way, the body of Christ, the church, is kind of like a human body. And the human body has a whole bunch of different members. And each member is really important. In fact, you can't get along with the different members because we need each other. And so don't say one member is more important than the other, though, just as with the body, not all parts of the body get the same public airtime. And so it is with the church. There are many different gifts, but some gifts don't get the same public airtime, but it doesn't mean they're less important. So he's talking about this whole unity thing. And then chapter 13, there's chapter 12. Chapter 13 comes along and there's this, this long, extravagant, amazing, these words penned about love. And you know the passage, some of the most famous words ever written on love. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It's not rude or self-seeking. You know, 
You hear this at most every wedding. But what we don't realize is Paul didn't write this for a wedding. That passage on love was about unity in the church regarding gifts that is so disunifying. So he writes this amazing thing on love, speaking about unity. And then we get to chapter 14 and he brings up two gifts. Two gifts that I think in his mind, because he, he singles them out, are some of the most disunifying gifts in the church. Two gifts that they've been fighting about. And he says, we need to have some unity on these two gifts. And the reason there, there was the, this fighting, maybe it wasn't even fighting. It just seemed these two gifts were dominating their time together and none of the other gifts would ever be able to be used. And so he comes to this and says, and says let's talk about these two gifts. Now, what two gifts could just bring all kinds of disunity and fighting and kind of just overtake gatherings of Christians together? Here's the two gifts, tongues and prophecy. Now, I will define tongues and prophecy in the broadest sense that I know how, because interestingly, Christians don't agree as to how we define tongues and prophecy. Okay, so what Paul wrote 2,000 years ago about the disunity of these two gifts, we still just struggle with divisiveness regarding these two gifts. I guess we still have more to learn about unity in the body as it relates to gifts. So tongues, defining tongues, broadest way I know how. Tongues is speaking in another language to which you're like, well, what's the controversy in that? Because Christians disagree what language. Is it a human language or a heavenly language? And you can fall on either side of the coin and still go to heaven. I just want you to know that, okay? So this is not something we as a church say you have to believe this or that. I believe tongues in scripture is all like human language or I believe it's all heavenly language. It's not a salvation issue. And so you can wrestle that out in your own personal convictions. So tongues is speaking in another language. And the second one is prophecy. Prophecy, broadest way I can define it, is simply this. It's inspired language. Inspired by God, but it's inspired language. Uh, I think Webster's defines it, it it's uh, uh, an inspired utterance of a prophet, right? It's saying, here's what God has said, and I'm going to speak prophecy as inspired language. Now, often we think of prophecy as, as telling the future, right? A prophet or someone who prophesies is telling what's going to happen in the future. Now, in Scripture, prophecy can include that. But actually, if you look at Scripture and the prophecy in Scripture, most of prophecy isn't that. It's, it's a rebuke. It's a call to follow God. It's a, an encouragement. And so prophecy can take, but it's, it's this inspired, this God-inspired language. Now, we're going to talk about how we hear God through people. So we're going to focus on this idea of prophecy. But I just want you to know in the passage, Paul talks about tongues and prophecy. So I wanted you to kind of have that picture. And so regarding these two, Paul writes, now what does unity look like as they so easily can just take over an entire service? What does it look like? And then he gives us some guidelines as to how we hear both tongues and prophecy, which I think is helpful for us as we think about how do we hear God speak through people who are fallible human beings. So you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 26, Paul writes this. <clears throat> what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Now Paul is describing what their church services look like, right? When you gather together, right? Brothers and sisters, this is the entire church. He's written the uh, letter of 1 Corinthians to the entire church, men and women, 
The list of gifts was given to men and women. At least the list of gifts he gives here, it appears it's given to men and women. When you come together, each of you, probably men and women, has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. From this, Paul is going to talk about prophecy. So my hunch is that Paul defines prophecy as a hymn, a word of instruction, or a revelation. Because these are the two things that are coming out. When you see, oh, I've got this thing that God's been showing me. Pastor David did this today. There's some prophecy. God has given me some revelations to encourage you in your faith. But he says, each of you has one of these gifts. And then he says, by the way, when you have these, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Now imagine a group of 20 to 200 people and they all got something to say. Just chaos ensues, right? It's like everybody's just talking at the same time. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. We're about unity. So everything must be done so that the church may be built up, which means this. According to Paul, when the church gathers, the group is greater than an individual. When the church gathers, the church, the group, is greater than an individual. And he goes on to say, here's how it works out. If anyone speaks in a tongue, you define that as heavenly language or other language, two or at the most three. Everybody has one though. No, 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 we're limiting this. Two or at most three should speak one at a time, so there's not chaos, and someone must interpret. Why does someone have to interpret? Because in the gathering of Jesus, the church, the group is greater than an individual. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church, in the gathering. Why? Uh, or sorry, and should speak to himself and to God. Reason being, because in the church gathering, the, the group is more important than an individual. And if someone's speaking in a tongue, another language that others don't understand, no one is being edified by that tongue. Unless someone can interpret that language. Unless someone can bring it. In fact, you can read earlier in chapter 14, Paul says, actually, tongues in the, in the corporate gathering is of little value. And if there's no interpret, uh, interpretation, it's of no value, even it has negative value. He's quite strong on this. But if there's an interpreter, there can be value. Because in a group, the group is greater than the individual. That's what unity is all about. He goes on, past tongue speaking to prophecy. Two or three prophets should speak. Notice how he just limits it. Each of you has something. No, 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 no. Two or three, not too many. And what he says next is astounding. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Meaning, when someone comes and says, I have a word from the Lord. God told me as followers of Jesus, we are not called to say, oh, okay, if God told you, it must be true. There is a, a level of, not skepticism, a level of discernment that followers of Jesus are called to have. And when someone says, here's a word from the Lord, I've got a, a, a prophecy, here's an encouragement, we are to take that and weigh it carefully. In fact, John, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, says something very similar in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. A little bit different language, but same idea. He says this, Dear friends, 
Do not believe every spirit. Just don't believe every spirit. That would be gullible. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And then he says something interesting, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Wait, wait, are we supposed to test the spirits or the prophets? He says, they're kind of one and the same. The prophet's message is the spirit with which you should be testing. Is that message from God? Because for every true prophet of God, for everyone who speaks a true word, an inspired word from God, there are people who claim, maybe even with good intention, to say, here's what God has said. But it may not be at all from God. So Paul says, two or three prophets should speak. And the others, the other believers, should weigh carefully what has been said. In fact, when you come to church on Sunday and you hear the donkey up here speaking, it would be wise for you to weigh, to weigh carefully what you hear. In fact, Paul, who was an apostle, had great authority in the church, went around speaking the truth, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And Luke tells us in Acts, there's a group of people that did this really well. And Paul just spent some time in Thessalonica. He goes down the road to Berea. And, the, and Luke, who wrote Acts, says this. He says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message, which is the gospel that Paul had been giving them, with great eagerness. And they did not just accept it gullibly and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now think about this. Paul wrote nearly half our New Testament. Why wouldn't you just accept it? Uh-uh. Luke says they were of, of noble character. It is of noble character. I don't know who your favorite pastor is. I don't know who your favorite podcaster is. I don't know who your favorite author is. But if you just accept it without ever weighing... That is not noble. Even if what they said was true. Paul, what he said was true. He was from God. But Luke says, it's of noble character to say, wait, we gotta, we gotta weigh this out and we're gonna weigh it on the scales of scripture. We're gonna weigh it on the scale of scripture. You know why? Because God does not change. And anything God will say will always be consistent with what God has already said. Anything God will say, and if someone says, hey, God revealed this, okay, if it's true, it will be consistent with what God has already said. Even the gospel was already present through Jesus, was already present. He was already there in the Old Testament. The New Testament just shows us the revelation of what God was already showing throughout the Old Testament. It wasn't something crazy new. It was new, but it was already present. And they searched the scriptures. They said, this makes sense. We are saved by faith, by God's grace through faith, just as Abraham believed and was credited as righteous. It was already present. So he says two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And then he goes on. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Again, because in a group, 
The group is greater than the individual. So one person doesn't get all the time and then it goes on. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Meaning if God has given you something to say, that word is still under the control of you as a being. Just put this in kind of terms we can all understand. If the pastor preaches too long, just share this verse with him. I know you had a lot from the Lord to say today, pastor. But the spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets. Just stop. It's noon. We want to eat, right? Okay. So for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. And Paul's going to summarize this in a couple verses, but he has this kind of interlude that's confounding. And I can't skip over it because you're going to be like, hey, you skipped over it. We got to talk about this. And it's a little confounding. So let me read this and then I'll just share very briefly about it. But I don't want to rabbit trail on it because I don't think Paul wants us to rabbit trail on it because he comes back to summarizing what we've just talked about. So what comes next is women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Okay, so we can get sidetracked as you... You can see. Paul, I don't think wanted us to get sidetracked with this because he does not elaborate on this. And, and here's the challenge. Many scholars don't know what Paul's point is in this very well. Generally speaking, but what is he getting at? Because Paul, in the context of this, has already said, here's the list of gifts, and he does not specify for which gender. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is three chapters earlier, he's already given specific instructions to both men and women regarding what they are to do when they pray and when they prophesy, which means women were allowed to prophesy. So why now at this point does he make these three statements in three different ways telling women they're not allowed to talk ever at all absolute truth? Scholars don't understand. In fact, even scholars that, that would take a view that women uh, are not allowed to hold every office in the church, do not allowed to have every kind of spiritual uh, influence and oversight in the church, do not use these two verses as their primary reason for that theological belief. So there's other places you can wrestle with scripture, but this one just seems a little challenging. Probably, most generally speaking, what Paul is getting at is the context of this is unity and order. So something must have been happening in that congregation that was disrupting unity and making things disorderly that Paul felt the need to say this. But it wasn't a complete ban. It couldn't have been on women ever speaking at all in a church gathering because he has given license for that earlier in the context. So it must have been something very specific that he's speaking to. Okay, we're not rabbit trailing. We're done with that. Okay. He goes on, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached, right? So you're prophets, you think that you, you have like the corner on God's truth? No, no, weigh it carefully, right? Let others speak. The group is greater than the one individual. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. Do you know what the Lord's command is? Love God and love people. He condensed the entire law, Jesus did, into one command, love God and love people. This is the Lord's command. And if you're gonna apply that command within the church with these gifts, you will not be about an individual. The group is greater than an individual and you will make space for each other. That's what unity looks like. 
And then he goes on. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Okay, got it. Then he summarized. Therefore, with all this in mind, my brothers and sisters, church, be eager to prophesy. Be eager to speak God's word and encourage other believers. It's a good thing. Be eager to speak the good word of God to one another. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. It has value in a church gathering if there is interpreters. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That is the purpose of all he's written. Everything is for the point of unity in an orderly way. So as it relates to hearing God through the voice of others, I think summary would say, we need to listen to God's voice through the voice of those around us. With these cautions in mind, weigh, weigh the voice, whatever voice that comes from, weigh the voice that comes to you through the voice of others. And through these, put them on these two weigh scales. The scale of scripture, because anything God says will be consistent with what God has already said. So as you hear God speak, through the voice of others, weigh it on the, on, the, on the way scale of scripture, but weigh it also through other mature believers. When Paul said, when someone speaks, others, mature believers should weigh, is this, is this a true prophecy? Is this truly inspired speech? Does this truly come from God? Under the authority always, of God's word, which is our authority when it comes to God's truth. And through the interpretation, the understanding of spiritual believers and how they understand and would interpret God's word. Morton Kelsey said once, the idea that each person's religious opinion is of the same value is nonsense. For there is a body of knowledge which is tested by time that can be transmitted by the church to believers. Way Weigh the voice as it comes to you through the voice of others. Weigh it on the scale of scripture and through the voice of other believers. And then after it's been weighed, receive it. After you've weighed the voice as it comes, be those who receive as we see the Bereans did. They weighed it, but they were of noble character because they weighed it on the scale of scripture. But when they saw it was true, they were those who received the words spoken to them. And if you are gonna hear God's word and you're gonna weigh it, but you're not gonna receive it, then God may as well not speak to you because his word is of no value to you. If we do not have the humility to say, God has now spoken and I need to receive that word. I need to listen to that voice as it comes through the voice of others and then allow it to change us. You know, I was gonna share some stories of how God has spoken to me through others, but the spirit of the prophets is under control of the prophet and we're out of time. <laughs> but I wanna leave you with this encouragement. God is speaking to you and he's speaking to you from many different directions. And as you hear the voice of others, especially those who are mature Christians, but maybe even a donkey from time to time, Consider, is this from God? And that doesn't mean make every conversation spiritual, right? Like, oh, my friend asked me, do I want chicken or beef? I'm like, God, are you speaking something to me through this? Like, I don't know. I think maybe you're, no. 
But don't write every conversation as an unspiritual. God comes to us and is, if God is, is impressing something on your heart, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden someone comes and says, I think God just kind of laying, I, I need to encourage you in this. And you're like, where did that come from? And then someone else says, I think I need to encourage you. And then you're like, where did that, maybe God's trying to get your attention. And then you read scripture and you're like, God, you're kind of saying this again. And I think you're trying to get my attention. What are you going to do with that? And I would encourage you, pay attention to what people are saying. What people come to you and weigh it. Say, God, what are you speaking to me? I know many times people have spoken to me and it's led me because of their wisdom and wisdom comes from God. So I think it came from him. It was wisdom and direction in my life. It was courage to step into something I did not have the courage to step in at that time. It was a revelation of knowledge that I was not aware of. And God has grown me and spoken to me through the voice of others, a mom, a dad, a mentor, a friend, a pastor. So as you consider how God may be speaking to you, just because there are false prophets, don't write off every truth that comes through the mouth of a human. Because God uses people to encourage other people with his inspired truth. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that, that encourages us and that we can speak the truth of your word to one another. And Father, we wanna be those like the Bereans who, who as we hear your truth, that we weigh it. We don't wanna be gullible people. We weigh it in scripture and, and through the, the, the lens and scale of other believers who would help us to understand what is true. And we know for every truth that we have an enemy who has counterfeit truths that are close to the truth that try to deceive us and pull us away from our faith in you. So Father, give us wisdom and discernment, but give us courage too, to receive the word that you give us as you give it to us, even as it comes through the mouth of others. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.